As I said earlier, we're now in the season of Epiphany Tide. You could say the, the season after Epiphany, which happened this past Thursday, and a season that's all going to take us all the way to Lent. Epiphany means appearing, manifesting. When you, when you have epiphany, an epiphany, something suddenly comes to your mind, is revealed to your mind, and it can kind of change everything you see. So something like, like the ending of a Shyamalan movie. <laughs> if you've seen The Village or The Sixth Sense, that surprise ending that suddenly comes to you and reveals something that changes the whole story, and you see everything differently. Or you leave the light on, if you're like me, and <laughs> you watch the, the Sixth Sense. An epiphany, like when you're little and you're learning to talk, and you've only been saying this word yes the whole time, and then suddenly you realize there's this other word, no. <laughs> and that changes everything, especially for parents, as I know some of you are experiencing right now. The epiphany of this season, of course, focuses on something much more significant. It's the appearing, the manifesting of Jesus, of who he really is. So, for example, at his baptism, which we heard in our gospel reading, when he was revealed as the Son of God, whom the Father loves in the Holy Spirit. And, of course, a baptism we, too, participate in through our own baptism. This season also focuses on his epiphany, his revelation to especially the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, people like the Magi from the East, which is another text that is usually focused on in this season. And appearing, though, a revelation that is so powerful, it causes you, like the Magi, to bow down and worship, and eventually to go home a different way, as it says in the text. A true epiphany of Jesus Christ means you are never going to see life or walk in the same way if you've really seen him for who he is. So for this season, we're going to look at Paul's letter to the church in Rome, a letter that was written primarily to Gentiles. Gentile believers living in Rome He's writing about this, he's writing to them about this good news of Jesus Christ, he says. Good news that he says reveals, if you were listening, something. It reveals God's righteousness. There's the epiphany. But it's a revelation so powerful, Paul says it's not doesn't just have power, it is God's power for salvation to all who hear it and trust it. First for the Jew, but then for us Gentiles as well. So when you truly hear this news, this revelation, again, you are never gonna see life or walk in the same way again. I'm not gonna cover every verse of every chapter. We definitely don't have time for that. But what I'm gonna do is just bring your attention to some of the most significant verses uh, section by section in this book. And the section we're going to look at today is chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, what we heard in our reading. 
And this is a section simply of introductions. Paul's introducing himself to these Roman believers who, who he's never met. He's introducing the purpose of his letter, why he's writing, the major themes of the letter come out here. And above all, unifying it all, he introduces us to the gospel, the good news of God concerning his son, as he says it at the beginning. So Paul first introduces himself. And right off the bat, he says, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. He wants them to know who he is. He is someone who belongs to and is devoted to this person above all. And then he goes on to say, an apostle, one who is called to be an apostle, a sent one, a delegate, an ambassador of Jesus, authorized to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And he says in here, he received this from Jesus himself. He says he got this from Jesus himself in order to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, he says, for the sake of his name, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus. So Paul's primarily, again, writing to Gentile believers he's never met. So what he needs to do for them to take him seriously, to take this letter seriously, he has to establish himself as a legit apostle from Jesus. So they're going to trust his words so they can trust that this letter is for them and has authority. So Paul has to promote himself as, let them know that he is the apostle to the Gentiles, as he says later in chapter 11. That's something of what he's doing here in the opening sentences. He also has to give these Gentile believers an understanding and appreciation for the Jewish scriptures that they would be primarily ignorant of. They didn't grow up reading these scriptures, knowing them, memorizing them, hearing them. So he has to give them an appreciation, both so they can understand the gospel, but also so they can love and appreciate their Jewish brothers and sisters who would be living in Rome and maybe even fellowshipping in their own church. Because there was probably some division going on. Most likely the Jews were forced out came back and realized, oh man, there's suddenly a huge Jewish church going on that doesn't know our ways. And they didn't. And they may even have despised some of the ways of the Jewish uh, upbringing. So Paul is correcting that probably somewhat to bring unity to the church. So he goes on to say, he set apart for the good news of God, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So much of what Paul's doing in this letter is, is giving a proper understanding of the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish people in light of the gospel. That's what you see through the book, through the letter. But more than a proper understanding, he says his God-given purpose from Jesus is to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. He says this again at the end of the letter. Chapter 15, verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me 
to win obedience from the Gentiles. And then at the end of the letter, the very end, this powerful ending, he writes this to them. Now to the God, and all of this, these are themes that he begins with in this beginning section, addresses throughout the letter, and then now summarizes again at the end. Now to God, who is able to strengthen you, there's the power, according to my gospel, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, the content of the gospel. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now is disclosed, the epiphany. And through the prophetic writings, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, is made known to all the Gentiles, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. That is Paul's God-given purpose here. We're going to come back to in weeks to come. But obedience, allegiance, devotion to, conformity to the good news, that's what Paul's after. That's what he's been commissioned with by Jesus Christ himself. That's what his life was about. That's what this letter is about. But an obedience that is of faith, that comes from faith, that has its source in hearing and trusting the good news. This obedience should be the fruit of that faith. That's what he's after. So this is Paul's purpose. And so what we're going to see to accomplish this purpose, he's going to first try to help the Romans hear the good news. And then he's going to try to help them to trust it, to put their faith in it. And then he's going to help them try to live it, to obey it, to really live by it in the fullest sense of that word. And we need that help too. Maybe more than the Romans did. Because we live in a time and a place where this good news has already been proclaimed for hundreds of years. So that this is no longer considered news to people. This is old news. In reality, not news at all. We've heard that, been there, tried that, done that. We're moving on to bigger and better secular things. Because lots of people aren't even hearing our message as good news, let alone news. It's not uncomfortable for people to think it's actually bad news. Like when you hear this, actually what's going to happen is this is going to restrict and constrict your life. It's going to make you into a small and mean kind of person. That's a lot of people's conception of our supposed good news to them. Not necessarily because they've ever actually heard the good news of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, but because they have met certain Christians who, certain Christians who are small and mean and who say they are living by this gospel. So it's a very logical conclusion for people to make. I don't necessarily fault people for that. As I've heard people's stories, whether at Labrie or outside of Labrie or in this church or outside of this church, the lies of Christians are one of the biggest reasons people reject the faith. And the lives of Christians are one of the biggest people, reasons people come to faith. 
That's something I've heard over and over again. When people encounter, again, mean, small Christians, they're looking for ways to dismiss the gospel. They don't want it to be true. They hope it's not true if it's going to make them like that. But when they encounter somebody who has actually had a transformed life that's been expanded by the gospel, people who are actually hearing and trusting the gospel, who are living out the obedience of faith, whose lives have actually been expanded, who are really, truly living, well, that's compelling. Then people hope that the gospel is true, and they look into it. It leads people to ask, what is causing this depth and breadth of life in this person? And if they keep looking, if they keep listening, they may just encounter something new they haven't heard yet. News. Good news. Again, that is so powerful. It doesn't have power. It is power. It's God's almighty power, saving power that enables us to truly live. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the good news. Maybe some of the Gentiles were for some reason. Maybe we are for some reason, for things I've already mentioned or other reasons. Paul feels no embarrassment whatsoever about the gospel because he knows it is God's power for salvation for anyone who hears it and believes it. Because this is superior power, greater than any innovation or technology or army in Rome. It's God's power, what we're dealing with here in a message. And it's power directed toward a good purpose. Salvation, liberation for life. And it's for anyone, anyone who hears it and receives it. Nothing to be ashamed of here at all. Notice again, Paul doesn't say, again, this, has, this message has, powerful, has power or this is just a powerful message as we say. He says, this news is God's power. His superior, almighty power. Not just one power among others in competition with others, but the one power that governs and rules them all. God's power. Have we heard it that way? And it's God's almighty power that is very directed, that saves us, that redeems and restores us, that justifies and sanctifies us, that unshackles us for living as children of God. Have we heard it like that? Experienced it like that? That's what it does for those who believe, for those who hear it. The good news concerning his son those who agree with it, those who put their confidence in it, give it their heartfelt yes and trust their very lives to it. They, and they only, will find it as salvation and life. So if we've never found it to be God's power for salvation and life, there's a good chance we've actually never heard it for some reason. Even if we've been in church for decades, 
Or maybe we've heard it, but we've actually never really committed to it, never said our heartfelt yes to it. But if there is breath in our lungs, then there is hope it's not too late to start doing that. So what is this good news? Paul writes at the beginning of his letter, the good news of God concerning his son. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of God, risen from the dead. He is the content of the gospel. The good news is the good news of who Jesus is and what has happened to him. And the good news of what has happened for us and to us in him. Paul writes in verse 17 that in the gospel, something has been revealed. Something hidden has been uncovered, manifested, made known. And he says, that revelation is the righteousness of God. Could also be translated as the justice of God. And if we're reading the whole letter, if we have read the whole letter, we find out a divine verdict has happened on the human race in Jesus Christ. There has been a divine verdict on the human race in Jesus Christ. That's not flattering. That tells us we're guilty before God without excuse. There's nothing in your story that you can point to and say, well, I'm not guilty because of this. And that this guilt is so serious, it actually deserves God's wrath. So serious that the sin has been condemned already in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 3 says, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin. He condemned sin already in that flesh. This is a verdict that reveals God's righteousness, his justice. But not just any righteousness or any justice, God's. And if this is going to be a revelation, we should be ready to be surprised in some way. Find something different than our normal encounters with righteousness and justice in this world. There's a different kind of righteousness. Because this is a righteousness and a justice that we find out justifies the ungodly. That is a different kind of righteousness and justice. That should cause someone to say, that is new. That's news. That's good news. When we hear that verdict and accept it, agree with it with our heart and our mouth from faith to faith, as Paul says, we're not going to just be justified before God. We're also going to learn how to live. This message becomes not just our salvation, but our life. 
That's a word Paul will use more and more through this letter. The righteous, Paul says, will live by faith. This is a verdict from God. This is his righteousness, his justice revealed, that verdict from God on us in Jesus Christ. When we hear that and trust that, we will find it to be our salvation and life. And the more we do that, the more others are going to want to do that too. That's how it works. That's what we're introduced to in this section of Paul's letter. That's what we're going to get further into in the further reading of this letter in the weeks to come. So get ready. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news. Forgive me, forgive any of us for ever being ashamed of this good news. And by that same good news, forgive us, justify us, deliver us from that film of familiarity that maybe has kept us from actually hearing it. And yes, above all, bring about that obedience of faith that you are after. In Jesus and through that Holy Spirit that he baptizes us with, may that be true. Amen.